Blog Talk Radio.
as always, we are looking forward to a very insightful and spirited conversation. We're broadcasting to you from Belize City, and we're just hoping that uh, you enjoy the show. As mentioned via social media, my guest today is a gentleman who has served the nation of Belize in the capacity of, well, many different capacities, but within the Belize Defense Force, he's a gentleman that I have the utmost respect for with regards to his intellect and also his experience. I'm speaking of none other than Major Lloyd Jones. He's an individual that brings a wealth of knowledge with regards to Belize, our security situation, our border, and a lot of other salient issues that delve into matters involving the nation of Belize and, of course, that ever-present threat or concern from our neighbor to the West. So today we'll have Major Jones on to discuss a few things, but specifically, he wrote an article, he had an article a few weeks ago. I found it very interesting. It was entitled, Crimea, Lessons for Belize. If you didn't get a chance to read it, the link to that article in the Amandala is posted on my Facebook page. And I really, really recommend that you take a, take a look at it. But nonetheless, we're going to discuss it today. And we'll take it from there. So if you could just, you could just bear with me for one moment as we try to connect Major Jones. And to begin with, what I'll do until we have it online, I'd just like to take a, a little read from the article so you can get a gist of what we'll be talking about. Okay. It says Crimea, lessons for belief. Crisis in the Ukraine <coughs> presents strategic lessons for Belize, which should guide our response to the eastward drift by Guatemala. Now, just the opening line there lets you know that it's something that's going to be kind of juicy, and it's going to be something that is very, very relevant to Belize, especially when we're talking about international relations and military operations and precedent-setting type of. Uh, issues. Well, the Greek, the Ukraine has for the last couple of years been a covert battlefield for the so-called West as they try to penetrate Russia's sphere of influence under the guidance of democracy, the West supported, if not orchestrated, the overthrow of a democratically elected government solely because that government was, in their view, eastward leading. It is safe to say that the West, with their zeal to topple Yankovich, severely miscalculated the likely Russian response. Western leaders have been quick to draw similarities between Russia's Crimean experiment and Germany's invasion of Poland. There are significant differences, of course, but this is not the focus of my Okay, but well, I believe that we have Major Jones on the line. Major Jones, are you there? 
Yes, my brother. I'm right here. Thank you. And good All morning. right. Yes, and good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I did a very, very brief uh, introduction of you, but I, I would like you to tell us a little bit about yourself. I uh, basically told uh, the listeners out there that we're going to be discussing an excellent article that you wrote in regards to the situation that, that, that occurred in Crimea and the lessons that we have for Belize. But before we get into that, Major, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you've been, what you've done, what you're doing? Well, um, I'm just a little old ragtag boy from Belize. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I did some time in the PDF. Uh, I spent 15 years in the PDF. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did my initial officer training at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst in the UK. Um, and after 15 years in the DDF, uh, my, my last uh, training was with the U.S. Navy at the U.S. Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. And then almost immediately after I returned, I left the DDF to go to head the Belize Post Authority because there was some leadership crisis there. Uh, I did that for six years. And um, after six years, I couldn't handle the politics of it anymore, and so I left that. I am now doing my own thing. I have a, a group of companies and people a whole range of services from uh, strategic planning uh, to climate change uh, to maritime uh, type, uh, technical work and so on. So that's where I am right now. Guatemala needs to take 
this difference of opinion there. And in that vein, I noticed that you, you wrote a very, very insightful paper there, an article. And if you could just give us a little bit, bit of background, what was your motivation and why you wrote it? Well, I'm, you know, I, as a, as a Belizean first and foremost, uh, and as a trained uh, military officer, I, I understand the implications of all these um, strategic moves that you see on the geopolitical landscape. And when I saw the, the issue in Crimea and how it had developed, I immediately saw implications for, for these as well. Um, for some reason, and I think perhaps it is because of the way we have been we've been raised culturally in Belize. We don't seem to to like to look down the road. We deal with issues as they arise. And when you are talking about the, the international diplomacy and the relations between nations, you have to be uh, looking far down the road. Otherwise, you might find yourself in some real difficulties. Absolutely. I think that's very well said, and I, I agree wholeheartedly um, with regards to everything that you just mentioned. It's, it's very, very important and very critical that we as Belizeans start to lend a critical analysis, a critical eye to all things uh, influencing our well-being, influencing the well-being of our nation-state, and especially with regard to this particular issue, because, uh, again, my opinion is that this issue and the way that it's being handled is very, very insidious. I say insidious because and then taking this matter to the ICA. You have, well, the position who has pretty much been how can I put this? They've given a lukewarm type of support of it. They haven't said that that's not the route to go. They haven't said that they don't want a referendum. So I'll call collaborators in this particular hour. And then you have civil society and individuals like yourself, Mejia, and others who are speaking out, have done this critical analysis, and are looking down the road from what implications uh, may be going the route of the referendum but uh, now getting back to the article, uh, that situation in Crimea is very, very interesting. It just developed the argument for me, and in terms of or the potential and parallels and implications for beliefs. Well, I think that when you look at, at how neighbors treat each other, there are always going to be cross-border movement of people uh, intermingling people along border regions. Uh, but all that takes place, uh, you have to be careful how you how you manage that situation, if you will. Particularly if you are a smaller neighbor alongside a larger, more powerful neighbor, as in the case of uh, the Ukraine and Russia, as in the case of Belize and Guatemala. So when you have that kind of proximity and people flow across the border, have they develop, you know, uh, relationships um, between the people? But it's important that when people 
uh, section of the Constitution, in my view, uh, operates to prevent Guatemalans from becoming Belizean citizenship, uh, Belizean citizens, sorry. Uh, and that obviously has been, uh, has been thrown through the window by our political class uh, simply because of the loss of power. Absolutely, absolutely. It's very, very important that you point that out because, as you, as you rightfully said, successive administrations, whether it be red or blue, have engaged in this practice, I don't want to call it a policy, although it very well may be one, of ignoring that section of the Constitution. And I think that it ties into the, uh, like I said, the lust for power, the lust for um, control, so much so to the extent that, and these are my words, I'm not going to put it on anybody else, but that I liken to treasonous behavior by our elected officials. Because it's clear as day for anyone to see that based on Guatemala's unfounded claim on our sovereign territory, Guatemalan nationals should not be afforded Belizean citizenship. And I don't have the exact number. Every time they do a new intake of new Belizeans, the number of Guatemalans within that mix is very high. So what I see is a blatant disregard for the rule of law by our policy and lawmakers, which within itself is very shameful. But I will say that based on the track record that I've seen from successive government administrations, I'm not all too surprised. And now that ties into the significance of civil society. I like to harp on civil society because I feel that our civil society is uh, in a sleeping slumber, so to speak. Of course, through the advent of individuals like yourself and others who are speaking out and demonstrating that Belizeans are no longer individuals who just sit back and take what is, is shoved down our throat, willing to lend critical analysis and also action, this is where I see the hope coming for this nation. But getting back to the, the article itself, uh, one of the things, well, several things pointed, um, stuck out to me. Now, in terms of the numbers, yes, uh, you mentioned that today Guatemalans make up a roughly 6.03% of the Belizean population. But when you break it down into, you break it down into the different districts, it becomes very clear where a concentration of Guatemalans are. And I don't know if you saw it, uh, Major, but the ad that I put on Facebook to promote this show, it was, I also included a, not only a picture of yourself, the Belizean flag, but also uh, a map that derived from La Prensa Libre in Guatemala uh, from several months ago, which showed what they presumably are claiming as being theirs in terms of our territory. And that's half of the country. Yeah really, really uh, disconcerting, and it's very, very uh, disappointing in terms of... When you look at those, when you look at the, what their claim purports to be, uh, which is, uh, it appears to be from the Sibundong, and then when you look at where the, the increased numbers of Guatemalans are heading, it, it aligns. Absolutely. So the are in the south, in, in uh, the Sand Creek and Toledo districts, and in the Cayo district. And then when you look at that map that you put up, in essence, they are populating what they consider to be their territory. Because they're not in Orange Park and Corozal, uh, which is north of the Ciboon, but they're in uh, those southern districts and, and in the west. So uh, from my perspective, 
uh, the two align. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. And, and from a from a common sense as well as a military standpoint, it's very strategic. Um, just a quote from your, your article, it says, Guatemalans make up 7.75% of the population in the South Creek District, 10.42% of the Cayo District, and a whopping 11.4% of the Toledo District. And that is very instructive. And you also added, which is critical, because we can, we can get into this a little bit more as a segue, you state that in the census, there are hundreds more in the chicken bowl wreaking havoc on our natural resources and trampling our sovereignty in the process. That, my friend, is a mouthful because we have a recent example of presumably illegal Guatemalans, um, I don't want to call them migrants, but Guatemalans illegally in the country um, participating in illegal activities. For example, the cultivation of marijuana. And we all know how that turned out. Your thoughts on that, Major? Well, you know, um, you, you, you earn property rights by squatting. And so if I go and I sit on your land, I believe it's seven years, and you do nothing to get me off, after seven years I can go to the court and legally take possession of your, of your land. Well, the Guatemalans are doing the exact same thing to us uh, in the Chiquibol. They are constantly in the Chiquibol. Uh, illegal forestry, uh, illegal cultivation of, of, of food crops, illegal planning for gold, and now we're seeing an increase in illegal um, cultivation of marijuana. Uh, so they are in fact in possession of the chicky bull, and we have a token presence there. Um, and oftentimes when we do go in to exert our rights, we end up with situations that we had just last week where we had to... Um, to use deadly force against one of those um, illegal settlers. Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently yes major yeah man okay my buddies we're still uh, experiencing some technical difficulties but yes as you were saying um we're seeing an increase in activities within our sovereign territory. And, well, my question to you is this. It may be an obvious answer, but just for the benefit of people out there, my position, my perspective in terms of how the Belize government has been handling the situation is pretty obvious. I think they're doing a piss-poor job. But what is your impression in terms of the route that they're trying to take us in relation to this existential threat from Guatemala? And a real threat from Guatemala. Your 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 perspective on that. Well, I think the there there is no clearly articulated policy as to how we as a country will treat with Guatemala. There's none. So you can't find anywhere where there is an official policy of the government with respect to Guatemala. But you can figure out with great certainty 
what that policy is by the kinds of strategies you see being employed. Mm-hmm. So based on the strategies that, that we see, it is fair in my view to say that the policy is one of appeasement. Absolutely. And that we, we are doing what it takes to make Guatemala happy rather than what it takes to secure Belize with all her territory intact. So, um, and so that policy is what is driving I think that has been complicated by the interference of the OAS. Okay. I must agree that um, you know your sentiments are definitely shared on this end. One of the very troubling things I've seen with regards to recent um, recent happenings, and I'm alluding to the, the same situation where, unfortunately, uh, there was a fatality involving the illegal cultivation of marijuana or what have you that these um, legal persons from Guatemala were doing in the Chiquibol Forest. And what I found very, very disturbing was the fact that the government of Belize chose to go the route of doing a joint press release with the government of Guatemala. That, number one, I found very disturbing. But number two was also the context and also the content of the press release. Did you get a chance to, to check that out? Well, um, the, the, I think that the joint press release was the brainchild of, of um, the foreign minister's handlers at the OAS. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine that the United States would put out a joint press release with its neighbor Mexico, even though they enjoy a very cordial relations. But if something like this had happened, that there would be any sort of joint press release. They would have uh, issued their own press release as a sovereign nation. So that's the first thing that, 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 uh, that struck me. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the press release was clearly meant to to calm uh, the Guatemalans, um, and it was done for their own public consumption, and not so much for for the Belizean. When you look at the contents and the tone of the of the release, uh, so it was designed and constructed to uh, to kind of soothe the the Guatemalans, if you will, um, because they, as you know, would have a hard time uh, dealing with this issue domestically. And so mm-hmm. I thought that press release was done uh, to kind of help them out on the domestic front. Yes, 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 absolutely. I, I really can appreciate the example you've given with regards to had something occurred between Mexico and the United States, that such a move would not have been made. And also, um, and I, I need to ask you this, based on the fact that you have served this country in the BDF, what do you think the impact of such a press release, and I'm talking about the content now, because in the press release, and this isn't verbatim, but I found the content to be very disrespectful with regards to those men and women who wear the uniform, who serve this country in the BDF, in relation to what the mandate of the BDF is, with regards to our sovereign territory and our borders. I found it very, very disconcerting, and I found it very, very disrespectful, because basically, the way I interpreted it is that the government of Belize was saying, well, you know what, yeah, check this thing out, and if anybody we do wrong, we'll deal with things. 
you know, DOTF to Uno, right? And I really have a problem with that. But what do you think the effect of that is on the morale of our soldiers? Well, I think they, I think that the 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 men and women in the DDF are a little bit confused as to what their roles and functions are. As you know, they have been for quite some time now. The major focus of DDF uh, was on internal security. They were focused on what they call these duties in the least today. That I think has created a whole new culture within the BDF. That's the first thing. And then secondly, um, the, the, the soldier has a right, whether the government feels that it must give them or not. The soldier has an inherent right to defend himself if he feels that he is in danger. Uh, that, and and no, no commander, no politician can take that away. But it certainly does not help uh, when our political leaders uh, speak in the manner that we saw in the press release. That we've asked our young men and women to do the what we can do is to support them. Nowhere in that press release did the government of Belize exist. And this is precisely why they should never have issued a joint release. But their release should have focused on bringing pressure on Guatemala, ensure that their people discontinue this practice of crossing the border and conducting themselves in an illegal fashion. That should have been the gist of the press release because that is the underlying cause of the accident. Our soldiers did not go to Guatemala and murder anybody. They were doing their duty that we gave them to do. And therefore, the, um, the government ought to support them in that undertaking. Yes, 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 yes. I totally agree. You know, it's, um, it's very, very shameful, man. I'll tell you the truth. You know, as a Belizean, when I see things like that, it really causes me to question, well, <laughs> what our elected officials are doing. Uh, are they following the script that is being set by someone else? Uh, do they lack the level of patriotism that I believe most Belizeans believe is necessary? It's just really, really disturbing. And it also ties into the trust factor. Because I'll, I'll put it out there for, for, for public consumption. I, I don't trust the government when it comes to this issue in dealing with Guatemala. I've seen time and time and time again where they dropped the proverbial ball. I've also seen occasions where they, well, I shouldn't say occasions, I've seen on a consistent basis where they have acquiesced to the, the provision of Guatemala, and they've just basically cowered in the corner. And whenever you're dealing with, like you said, um, um, a larger neighbor who may or may not have additional resources more so than yourself, you have to be tactful, you have to be strategic, you have to, be, you have to employ certain tactics, but above all, you cannot go into no negotiations and deal with that uh, aggressor from a position of, you know, I mean, just being soft, for the lack of a better word. Well, I, I, I think that we first have to decide how we want to, to deal with this issue, and then we've got to employ the our national resources to make sure that we get to where we want to go. But uh, 30 years ago when we went into independence, um, you may recall some of the alarmist positions that was taken by the then opposition, uh, the UDP. Um, mm -hmm. We 
the fear was that we were unprepared to defend ourselves. The British had refused to give us a defense guarantee, and therefore we would have been at the mercy of the the Guatemalans. Well, guess what? 30 years on, we have learned absolutely nothing. We still have not put in place the mechanisms and the system with which to effectively defend ourselves in the event that the Guatemalans lose their minds. And so we continue along this path. 30 years from now, we will still be unprepared to defend ourselves. I do it is that we can stand among, amongst the community of nations and say that we are a sovereign nation when we are clearly refusing to do the most fundamental duty of any sovereign nation, and that is position yourself to be able to defend that sovereignty and your territorial integrity. For certain, for certain. That is one of the fundamental things that is bequeathed upon a sovereign nation. And it's one thing, like you say, to say that you're a sovereign nation, but you have to have your, the actions of your government back that up. And what I'm seeing from successive administrations, but I'm going to deal with this one right here because this is the one we're seeing right now, I've seen them drop the ball consistently. I'm going to hearken back to uh, October of last year. Now, well, actually a little bit before then, a few years earlier, I think it was 2008 when they signed that much vaunted compromise, big thing. You know, Minister of Foreign Affairs went to the OAS, met with his counterpart, met with the Secretary General of the OAS. They signed this thing and they said, oh, you know, this is the roadmap forward. We're going to have confidence building measures. We're going to do a simultaneous referendum, this and that. The thing, the thing we bring, right? They big up this thing. Now, fast forward to, I think the date was the 6th of October. That should have been the referendum. I may be a one week off. I can't remember if it was the 13th or the 6th. But anyhow, up to that point, they were bringing up this whole concept of, oh, yes, simultaneous referendum. We're going to go to the ICJ. We're going to work this thing out, whatnot, whatnot. Keeping true to form, Guatemala reneged on its commitment. And all of a sudden, they tried to downplay it. Oh, well, you know, um, the, the date wasn't really set in stone, and we can always make up for it, this and that. Now, I'll share my position with you with regards to that, and I'd like to hear yours. At that point, I took the position that, you know what, enough is enough. You, 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 you can't coddle your aggressor but so many times. We shouldn't have done it from the onset. I think it was a whole bad idea to sign a compromise because that within itself has some flowery language that is very deceptive. But at the point where Guatemala reneged on it, and then we see our leaders come back and say, oh, okay, you know what, you know what, I have the referendum this year. Like we just uh, we want to sit down, we're going to talk about it. Critical mistake by our leaders once again. And at this point, I'm saying that the people of Belize need to boycott that referendum because you're playing with fire. As you mentioned to me once in our conversation, even the wording that they're proposing for the, um, the referendum is very questionable. What's, what's, your, what's your take on that, Major? I think that the Guatemalans have craftily been able to shift their position from one of an unfounded claim to one of a legal claim. That is the question being asked uh, that is be put to referendum. Do you believe that the Guatemala is legal Guatemala? Mm-hmm. By in that referendum, you are in fact accepting that Guatemala has a legal claim. And even if you vote no, you're simply saying they have a legal claim, but I don't think they should take it to the ICJ. I don't know when it is that this 
claim went from an unfounded claim to a legal claim. When I was in primary school, that is what we learned, that Guatemala had an unfounded claim. And now, with the help of Teddy Ellington, they have converted it to a legal claim. That's interesting. That, uh, that compromise and the initial date set for the referendum, I think that Guatemalans realized that they were in a difficult position and therefore they reneged on their promise, uh, even though they had signed willingly to the compromise, they reneged on it. Um, and in, in they say that what the Guatemalans did was to retake the initiative. So by disrupting the process, they had in fact retaken the initiative. And in the interim, in that period since they made clear they were not going to go to referendum, they have made strategic diplomatic moves within CARICOM. Mm-hmm. So they are now um, trying to dismantle or really the of support because CARICOM has always held strong that this, the position of the Guatemalans was unsustainable and had no place in a modern uh, free world. So what they have done is to take a step back from the ICJ referendum to give them time to work on our brothers and our sisters in the Caribbean. And now mm-hmm. they are providing strategic support to uh, Barbados, for example, in their uh, sugarcane sector. Because as you know, the Guatemalans are one of the world's largest producers of sugar. So they have the, the technical know-how. They are now using that in a diplomatic way to kind of drive away between Belize and, and, and Barbados. Because if push comes to shove, uh, particularly in these difficult economic times, uh, the Barbadians might very well say, look, well, why don't just go to referendum? You already agreed to it, so just go ahead with it. So mm-hmm. in that period of time where they backed up, it was, as, as some of us said, see, they are afraid and they are just, no, they had a rethink of their diplomatic game. They backed up, and now, in my view, they have the diplomatic initiative. You have raised some very, very insightful and keen points. And yes, I I must echo those sentiments. I recall that same situation that you mentioned involving Barbados. And also, I think another area where the Guatemalans have made a strategic inroad is with regards to the Petro-Carib agreement arrangement. Now, we all know that uh, based on the, the fundamental ideology of the oligarchs that govern Guatemala, versus that of which currently prevails in Venezuela. You know, I'm talking about the Bolivarian Revolution that was spurred on by the late Hugo Chavez, president of Venezuela, and now is being taken up by current president Maduro. Those two ideologies, that being Venezuela versus the oligarch of Guatemala, are diametrically opposed. So when I saw Guatemala trying to finagle and wiggle their way into the Petro-Carib um, arrangement, which they eventually did, I said to myself, you know what? This Bogdan is really, really slick and they're very strategic. So yes, you, I agree wholeheartedly with you. They've taken this time, they bought themselves the time, and now they're on the diplomatic front. They're making inroads with our traditional allies. And like you said, you know, in the case of Barbados, um, I hope this isn't what it is, but in life, 
We have to be real. For expediency's sake and for what is in the best benefit of Barbados, when this thing comes up, they may very well be inclined to say, you know, I'm going to take this thing to the court, man, and just see what it is. And we know that that will not fare well for Belize. I think that also you, you highlighted something very critical. And when you analyze the situation involving the advent of Guatemala, lending technical expertise and support to our fellow Caribbean nations, I think that it also highlights, it, it puts a spotlight on a, a grave deficiency within our government in relation to seizing on opportunities. And I, I hearken back to my days when I studied at UWI, at Salises, the Sarathur Lewis Institute for Social and Economic Studies. And I can always remember my professors saying consistently, Belize and Guyana, you have enough land mass and arable land that you can be the breadbasket for the Caribbean, right? And within that whole concept of the breadbasket of the Caribbean, we're talking about the production of food or what have you, of which sugar would also play a role. And I think that from a technical standpoint, our leaders have dropped the ball once again. It's not that we have such a thriving um, sugar industry, but all the same, we could have seized on certain opportunities out there. So make no joke. Those Guatemalans are very, very serious in what they're doing, and they're putting a lot of thought to it. What is so disappointing is that it seems as though these piss-poor politicians that we have running this country seem hell-bent on accommodating them. <laughs> well, I think... The politicians, uh, I think it was the, um, the Honorable Dean Barrow who once said that politicians understand numbers. The legions uh, don't, don't let the politicians understand uh, what it is that they're thinking and what it is that they want to get done. And then this is going to continue to happen. Um, I think that the, we have been diplomatically very lazy. Uh, we got independence and we thought that that was the end of the game. Um, and all of our attention turned inward. So a political class began to look at what was there for the taking, and they forgot that independence and sovereignty is a lifelong commitment. And in that process of them gobbling up all the things that they could gobble up here, they lost sight of the fact that they had to keep the pressure on Guatemala, and, and I think that is where we got hurt. And now... Um, when you look at our diplomatic effort, the focus of our diplomatic effort, and the next time you have lunch with Sadiq, you should ask him this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, should, you should ask him what is the the top priority for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and see what he says. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> you said a mouthful, you said a mouthful there, my brother, and... <laughs> I have to laugh because uh, <laughs> even if somebody invited me to, to, to lunch, I wouldn't go. <laughs> but uh, definitely, you know, um, if I were to look into my crystal ball into the future, I would say that if I pose a question to him along those lines, he'd probably tell me, you know what, um, I I get back to you because he'd probably have to go check with his handlers in Washington, D.C. to see what he has to say. <laughs> Officials to number one, the right thing, 
And like you said, Prime Minister once was quoted as saying that they politicians they understand numbers. But I think that they're being extremely short sighted because as you said, what has seized the diplomatic initiative. Our diplomacy has been based on an effort of acquiescence and just buying in, buying into everything that Guatemala wants. We are going at this thing from a position of weakness, and that cannot wash. In terms of the trajectory that is set for Belize's diplomatic endeavors, I think that it's very, very poor. It's very sad, and the Guatemalans know that. And therein lies the consistent call for Belizeans both at home and abroad. And I'm going to bring Belizeans who live abroad, whether it be in the UK, whether it be in Canada, the United States, Mexico, wherever. Belizeans, as long as you are attuned to what's going on in your, your nation, you need to have your voice be heard. Because what we need is a coalescence of ideas. We need unity. We need to speak with a united voice. Now, I know that because of the way Belizeans have dealt with politicians over the years, unfortunately, these politicians feel as though they're some sort of demigods and they can do what they want when they get in. And I'm doing a segue here. I'm going to get a little bit off topic, but as you know, Major, everything is interconnected some way, somehow. And I'm getting, I'm getting at the situation with Elvin Penner. I call him Penner. No, mm-hmm. honorable, no honorable before his name, because as far as I'm concerned, he's a sellout, and he's done a treasonous thing in terms of pimping our nationality. And I'll also go on record to say that he's not the only one. Many have done it over the years, but he's the only one that's been caught thus far. On this occasion, I would like to just be a cola for what they did in terms of taking the initiative and moving forward, uh, bringing out a private, um, uh, what is it, a suit against him. I think that's a step in the right direction. I think individuals, collectives, what have you, we need to take a leaf out of their book with regards to being proactive. Now, I'm looking here on Facebook, and we have a comment from someone, and I'll just read it verbatim. It says, why aren't these ministers of immigration, both red and blue, be being taken to court and put in jail for violating the Constitution by granting citizenship to Guatemalans just to vote. This nonsense happens with both parties till eventually we'll have too much of these people till they have a powerful voice. Can those citizenships be revoked? This was submitted by uh, Leslie Redon, and I thank you very much, Leslie Redon, for placing that, that very, very, very thought-provoking question. Well, getting back to the situation at hand, and I'm hinting at it, because COLA has set the precedent, I think it's, it's critical, it's good. We don't know what the outcome will be, but it's demonstrating there's a growing consciousness amongst our people, although and far in between, that we don't sit back and just let these politicians do what they want. Now, I'm kind of hinting on something with regards to this referendum and all this uh, mirrors that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is doing. What is your take on that? Well, I think the, there's clearly a constitutional ban on it. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, secondly, if, in fact, we, you would have to go to court to have those uh, citizenship uh, declared as null and void, um, and the case of the Dominican Republic comes to mind, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, like just recently, the, the Dom Rep had uh, Supreme Court ruled that people of Asian descent were in fact not, uh, in fact not citizens, um, and it caused quite uh, quite a, a stir um, and charges of, of breaches of human rights and so on. And in fact, CARICOM had placed tremendous pressure on the Dominican Republic because of that ruling. Um, I think that we will be able to put first citizenship to those naturalized by the Palan. But I don't know to do it for the Palan who were born here. Yes. So it creates, it creates a dilemma because if the parents are deemed to be unlawful, but the children are, uh, you can't really split from this. So you can't support the young child because that's the child is born to you. Um, and if you deport the parents, what happens to the child? It puts us in a really comfortable and difficult situation. This is only a small part of the harm that our political classes to this country by continuously trampling upon the Constitution. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I, someone just uh, mentioned to me that we also must bear in mind that Given the way that Guatemala's constitution is constructed, children born in Belize of Guatemalan heritage are, in fact, Guatemalans as well. <laughs> but I understand, what, I understand what you're saying in terms of De Banya, so, you know. And you, you shed some light on, on a critical issue because successive administrations, whether it's red or blue or what have you, have engaged in this illegal practice, and I'll say it in big, bold terms, illegal because it's against the Constitution. They've engaged in this, and they put the nation of Belize in a very tenuous position, a very tenuous situation on many fronts. Because, as you said, there are legal ramifications and implications if certain things or acts are taken against uh, Guatemalan citizens with regards to them being granted illegal citizenship. But also, what I would like to do is just kind of flip the script a little bit. And I think that it may be a bit taboo, but again, speaking as to what Kola has done. Now, if we look at the perspective of the perpetrators of these acts, the perpetrators, those who are facilitating it willingly, because I can, I can harken back to when the last general election was taking place, Penner was on TV saying that, yes, I'm helping these people get citizenship. We have to get them to vote. I mean, just... Matter of fact, like, you know, you do nothing wrong, right? Well, you see, you come back to bite on no, right, among other things. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, what if Belizeans would take the bold step to, for example, hold these politicians accountable for perpetuating this breach of our Constitution? That is, by the Malans to get citizenship when we know that they really should. Wouldn't that be quite revealing? Well, I, I think that is why um, the establishment is fighting so hard to keep Penner out of court. Because they don't want, don't want the details of this practice to be revealed to the Belizean people. Um, clearly, Penner acted improperly. Um, and I thought she ought to be held, be held to the same standard as any other belief. He's not special. 
he's a very offensive and in fact that's all the more reason why he should adhere to the law in this country. It does not give him license to trample upon the law. I I agree. Yeah, it's a, a very, very, very important topic. One that needs to be fleshed out even more because as as this is just the tip of the iceberg, I believe. And it's obvious that uh, the powers that be have done whatever they can to try and stop this from going to court. And I'll say that it's it's ongoing, even from the Minister of Immigration, because some of the statements that I hear him make to this day are very questionable. You know, I mean, what is our nation coming to when when a political party has to take an issue to the Supreme Court so that the Commissioner of Police does his job. A sad testimony to governance and the state of governance in this nation. It's so unfortunate. But I guess that's part of the growing pains of uh, a young quote-unquote democracy, so to speak. (laughs) I'm just glad to know that individuals and groups out there are willing to take these steps because 10, 15, 20 years ago, I couldn't have seen this happening. I couldn't have seen a cola coming to the fore and doing what they did. And again, I, I give those brothers the utmost respect for what they did in that instance because it was bold and it was necessary. I just hope that many more of us start to follow suit and start to begin to hold these politicians and these elected representatives accountable. Because, you know, what I find major is that our people have, have allowed ourselves to be mystified by these politicians. And the politicians, they know it. You know, we have to step out of this, this red and blue rubric and embrace a wider perspective. What's your, what's your uh, position on that, Major? I, I think that we have to understand that the country belongs to us and that we've hired these uh, representatives to do just that, to represent us not themselves, and it has gotten away from us because um, our people are becoming more and more dependent. They are becoming quite honestly lazy. Uh, we don't want to work anymore. We expect people to think to us. And uh, we have developed this sense of entitlement. And uh, uh, any Belizean gone to the States will tell you, uh, particularly those who are hangers-on, the cultural shock that they get when they get to it because they get out there you have to work. If you don't work, you're a But here, okay, you can go and ask somebody to pay your light bill, ask somebody to pay your cable bill, ask somebody to pay your water bill, and, and you could sit inside and talk crap all day. Um, and this is what the politicians want. You see, so in the process of of um, of the exercise of political power, they have deliberately set out uh, to understand your sense of hopefulness so that people feel that you know that there is no hope other than the era rep and so they have become gods in their own right and and that can't be good for any democracy particularly one as small as Belize where we need every single Belizean uh, to be working to be to be productive and that is the only way we are going to move our country forward. The Prime Minister boasts often of a pro-poor approach to governance. Well, that does not mean that he supports poor people, but it means that he wants to make more of us poor. <laughs> and that, that, like I said, cannot be good 
uh, for, uh, for, for Belize as a whole. Because we need, as such a small country, we have to be productive. We have to be creative. Um, otherwise, we are going to be continuously on the international scene, hat in hand, begging IDD, CDD, and all the other bees uh, for handouts. And when you are this vulnerable economically, there is also implications for your ability to defend yourself. And maybe that is, in effect, uh, the desired outcome. Yes, very, very, very good. You, I, I'm glad you brought up that point about this pro-poor um, uh, thing that the prime minister and his government have been touting. You know, it, it's very, very deceptive. Like many things the government does, it's very deceptive. And it ties back into the old proverb, you know. You give a man a fish for the day, you feed it for the day. You teach a man to fish, you feed it for a lifetime. And it's been the modus operandi of these politicians on both side of the equation. But we, we deal with the current ones right now because they, they're mean. With a watchful eye for the ones that are sitting and waiting in the wings because I am quite certain that the degrees of separation between the way they go about doing things will be very, very small. But, um, yeah, I mean, another yet another example. I don't know if you recall when the Prime Minister was blatantly boasting about uh, paying these gang members to, quote, unquote, hold it down. When I heard I was very, very distraught because I'm thinking to myself, there are so many young people out there who are making sacrifices to get their education, right? They're making sacrifices to get their education. They want to get their education because of the job, the scarcity of the job market. They can't find work. But yet you're going to to hold it down. What about the productive individuals who are trying to do something for themselves? And I think that's just indicative and demonstrative of the mentality which is shaping and, and directing the ebb and flow of, of government's affairs. It's very destructive for the masses of the people because, as you said, it, it keeps us in this mode of dependence. I wanted to ask you, Major, in terms of the fight against this whole insidious issue of whether or not Belize should go to the ICJ and whatnot, who do you see as uh, leaders or individuals or groups that are making the best argument against going to the ICJ? I think all of the, the people that I have heard who are against uh, are pretty much um, on target in terms of why we should do this. I think um, many of the people and the personalities at the, at Cremandala have also been extremely vocal. Um, I and large, when you speak to the average Belizean, they know there was no ICJ. You see, right. Um, right. <laughs> and, and just the whole uh, the it is clear that the government wants to go, uh, which I find to be a little bit troubling. And I could understand if the government takes a formal position um, and say, well, this is how we feel, share that view with the Belizean people, but also allow allow uh, other voices to be heard. So what you find is that the Referendum Commission is pro-referendum. It Absolutely. is not a commission that puts the, the ICJ issue on a level platform and allow all voices to be heard. So what they have done is effectively, uh, or they have tried to do, is to, to stifle the, those people that they believe might be against going 
to the ICJ. So all of the money that comes from the OAS is to be used to get a yes vote, not to be used for open, fair, and transparent discourse. Um, and and I don't think that that has any place in, in, in any real democracy. So the 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 no vote has been to some extent um, I don't want to say disorganized, but not as formally organized as the those who are pushing for the ICJ. But it might very well be that they have a steeper hill to climb than those that are supporting no, because I believe in my own uh, view that the majority of Belizeans are not in favor of going to the ICJ. And so um, perhaps that is why they are trying so hard to convince uh, convince Belizean people that they should. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. That's a very, very, very uh, insightful observation. And I'm, I believe that, uh, much like yourself, the average Belizean is not with going to this ICJ. Um, it, 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 I'm, I'm smiling as I say this because it, it's not funny, but within the context of this, this discussion, I have to smile. And you and I both know that <laughs> these political parties, whenever it comes to votes and whatnot, that they, they both engage in the illegal activity of paying for votes, right? And I'm smiling because I'm saying to myself that I seriously doubt that the blue notes on the floor <laughs> on the day of the referendum, right? <laughs> uh, of course, there's always the possibility, and we must be mindful, because these politicians are very, very crafty in the way they do things. And I could, I could foresee the potential for them to try and link this ICJ vote with maybe a municipal election or maybe a general election. So that's always a possibility. And I'm telling this alarm to individuals who share our view that going to the ICJ is a no-go for belief because we can't get too relaxed and think that we don't got it here and bad and why you know I'll pass out through notes and whatnot so people now vote for it. We have to be mindful because I share your view, Major Jones, that uh, Government is hell bent on going going the route of the ICJ. One of the things I'd like to share with you is that a little birdie told me that um, if, in fact, the push to go to the ICJ is rejected in terms of uh, a no vote at the referendum, or better yet, in, in my view, a boycott of the referendum, my understanding is that there is a possibility that they may try and push this through by way of some sort of uh, legislative means. And I will go on record to say for myself that if they take that unprecedented step, that will be a game changer. And I will say categorically that the tactics that are being used right now will change considerably. Because that would be a very, very disrespectful move in terms of the electorate and the people of this nation if they were to do something like that. So yes, Major. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's uh. Go ahead. I don't know that they can um they can they can go that route that that your source indicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would not only be a political suicide for the, for the government, uh, but it as you put it, it will definitely be a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a clear indication of, of high treason. Absolutely. And I don't think that any of our current political leaders are, are prepared for that. So I, I well, can't really talk, but I, I can <laughs> a little bit. 
But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something, I'll add something in here, is that I have seen a level of arrogance amongst these elected officials that is unprecedented. And it seems like with each election it gets worse. And no matter if it's red or blue or whatever color, they feel like once they get in, they could do it in one. And we've seen it time and time again. I mean, I will just, it's a different situation, but within the context, it's, it's similar. We look on the situation with the nationalization of BTL and BEL. What was the rallying cry? Oh, it's a nationalistic thing to do, and it's going to lower your rates, this and that. My rates not gone down yet. Your rates gone down? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. even in the face of legal challenges, even in the face of international scrutiny, certain individuals have done what they want because well, they have the power to do it at this time. So I understand what you're saying, Major, and I agree with you that we can't completely rule it out because the track record that we see is one of increasing just, um, <laughs> how can I put it, just increasing fierceness and basically saying, you know what, me and a power right now, so I'll do what I want. And like, like you said, it, it would be a game changer. Let's hope it doesn't go that route. But if yeah. it does... I, I want to signal the alarm that uh, the electorate will be ready. We will definitely be ready. Paco, have you been able to gauge the the views of the the diaspora with respect to this ICJ thing? Well, you know, we've we've been we've been plugging away with regards to trying to keep information flowing via social media. Uh, you know, the brother Hubert Pipersberg, who also has a blog talk show. He's dealt with the issue on several occasions. And we're just basically trying to keep the conversation going. Now, with regards to the feedback that we're getting, it's, how can I say, those with whom I've, I've, I've been in contact with appear to share our view that the ICJ is a, is a dead end for them. Because the fundamental reality that our nation is recognized by all who matters and that our borders are set, they're fixed and recognized in our constitution, that we're a sovereign nation with our territory intact. Belizeans abroad, they know that. They know that. And I'm glad you asked the question because I need to make an appeal, an outward appeal to Belizeans in the diaspora, wherever they may be, to kindly support our efforts. Support our efforts in whatever means, whatever way, whether it be you know, writing, writing to individuals in the government, whether it be lending support by way of posting to the social media. You know, we have groups like the Police Territorial Volunteers who go to the border, who go into these areas like the Chicken Boom. Very recently, when we hear that a group in the Chicken Boom, and I understand he was on Humor Show yesterday. And, you know, we just need the support and the, the positive vibe coming out of the diaspora. We have gotten it, and we need more. We can never have enough. But I, I honestly believe, within my heart of hearts, that the diaspora is attuned, and we realize that this whole uh, facade of smoke and mirrors involving a referendum and the ICJ and the dictatorial policies of the OAS is a no-go for the people. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So definitely, you know, we, we, we want to encourage Malaysians, wherever they may be, to remain attuned to what's going on because, man, this, this is not a serious thing. I mean, people may not, people, for, for the most part, and I, I, I'm going to talk about 
to we people because we live here, right? <laughs> but for the most part, unfortunately, a lot of times people are more focused upon the immediate, like what I want to eat today, you know, uh, how I'm feeding the picnic, how I'm paying this bill, that bill, whatnot, and they have a tendency to, to tune out other elements. But I'd also like to make an appeal to Belizeans right here at home to take note of the situation because this is something critical to our nation state, to our development or lack thereof. If we take a misstep and even participate in this uh, impending referendum, there's always a possibility that we can go the route that is not beneficial for us. And I always say a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush, right? Well, and this, way is, this is what I've been saying, Paco, that when what has happened since independence is that more of us have become poor. And mm-hmm. when people are poor, uh, their focus is not on grand ideas. Their focus is not on these weighty issues of sovereignty and territorial integrity. They have basic physiological needs that they have to fulfill. That is what drives their, their, their daily activities and their daily thinking, you see? And so you have to try and figure out how all of this factor factors into this Belize-Guatemalan issue. And if you, if you recall Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the first requirement is, is physiological, you see? And it is only when those have been satisfied that people's attention will shift to something else. And so that is why this high rate of poverty that we're currently experiencing is, so, is, is near criminal. Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned everywhere is war it's a war that until they're no longer first class and second class citizens of any nation until the color of a man's skin Okay, I believe we're back on the air. Again, my apologies for yeah. the te- technical difficulties that we're experiencing. But you were, you were saying, man, uh, about Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yeah. yeah. Yes, and, and, and the first and basic need, of course, being physiological. And so when our brothers and our sisters have to focus the entire day on trying to get five bucks, you know, five bucks to buy a pack of bread and all these, uh, a couple of ramen noodles, then their thoughts are not about the ICJ and what is happening at the Chikabul. Their thoughts is not on the broader economy. Their thoughts are not on higher education. It really is survival. And maybe this is a deliberate effort uh, 
to weaken us from within so that if you're weak if the body is weak if the body's defenses are down then the body becomes susceptible uh, to, to to all the viruses that are outside the body and this is what i think might very well be happening here mm-hmm. and that sounds like a very very uh, spot-on assessment and you can see it uh, in the daily goings on here in greece with this pro poor type of approach to, to governance keeping people dependent and uh, like you said, on the flip side of that is that our people not only are becoming dependent, but they're becoming lazier and they're becoming less attuned to these other issues, which are very critical. So, yeah, I, I can't agree more that um, we find ourselves in a precarious situation. And that's why efforts such as what you've done and what you continue to do, I mean, writing your articles, speaking out, uh, attuning the people to realities at hand is so very important. But we must understand that it can't all be done in a day. We know that, but we also must understand that we we have to pool our resources together, you know? And I just would like, I would just really love to see the day when our people become a little bit more subtle, I should say a lot more assertive with regards to taking a stand, taking a stand on issues. Because, you know, I, I may sound like a broken record, man, but the bottom line is this. We have allowed ourselves to be psyched out by these politicians. Belizeans, we have to understand that politicians only have as much power as we allow them to have. But when we adopt this defeatist attitude that, all right, but you know what, I'll sell the vote for this, and once I get my lead blue note and my lead beer and fried chicken and everything uh, clear, you know, until we get out of that mentality and we realize that, you know what, boss, I put you there and I will take you out because you work for me. Until we adopt that mentality and we understand the dynamics involved, we're going to continue to spiral downward in regards to our development. And it's really disconcerting, it's sad, and it's a bit disparaging. But there's hope. There's always hope. Like, you know, my mom used to always say, God rest her soul, that as long as there's life, there's hope. And with individuals like yourself, Major, and others that I've, I've mentioned during the, the broadcast, I believe that that hope remains alive. So, my brother, I have to say, continue the fight, keep up the good work, and, uh, you know, hey, the job certainly isn't done. It's nowhere near being done, but you're definitely, in my opinion, you're definitely doing your part. So I'd like to really, really acknowledge you for that. Anyway, thank you very much, my brother. And um, I try following the footsteps of a big man like Will, Will Mejia, oh, yes. your, your good self. Um, Giovanni Brackett and all these guys who keep on keeping on in despite what seem to be unsurmountable uh, challenges but like you said you just gotta keep on keeping on yes ma'am well Major we're, we're pulling in on 10 minutes left in the show and I'd like to give you uh, only 5 minutes man to just surmise what, you, what you'd like to make whatever appeal you'd like to make or just send a message to Belizeans and true friends of Belize. Notice whenever I say that, I say true friends of Belize because I understand that there's some, some group out there um, parading around as friends of Belize, and I don't know nothing about things, right? But I talk to the true friends of Belize out there, both at home and abroad, right? So, Major, the floor is yours. Talk to the people, man. All right, thank you, Paco. Well, look, this thing to me is very simple. There is nothing more important than self preservation absolutely not more important and so no matter what it is that you do no matter what it is uh, that the government does 
it does not do anything to strengthen and preserve the state, then you are a part of the problem and not the solution. The league has to understand that it is, in fact, an independent nation. It must fight tooth and nail to maintain its sovereignty and its territorial integrity. And from there, everything else will flow. But if we don't do that, then we are, in fact, causing great harm to ourselves. And we are going to have to answer someday to our own children to say what it is that we did when this foolishness about ICJ was raised. What was it that you did when the politicians were selling us? How could you have allowed tens of thousands of Guatemalans to What did you do? And that is the question. Um, so from that point of view, um, the, the struggle continues. And I think it starts uh, with people like yourself, Paco, people like, who keep on bringing and keeping these issues alive, making the Belizean people aware that though it may not seem important, it absolutely is. And that we must continue to maintain the pressure on our political leaders to do the things that are right, to do the things that will ensure the long and healthy survival of this nation called Belize. And I leave you with that. All right. Well, Major, man, you, you summed it up quite succinctly and very, very quickly because you only took two minutes. <laughs> That's it, <you> know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So that military background we have now. <laughs> yes, brother. Yes, brother. Well, uh, again, uh, Major, again, I just really appreciate the, the insight that you've shared with us on this very, very critical situation. And I invite you to come back on the show anytime, whenever you like to express something else or something topical comes up again, please feel free, let me know. The floor will be yours. I, I just really think that um, our people need to become sensitized and attuned to the realities that are facing us because if certain things take place, the way that the government is, is pushing, the face of the needs could change considerably. I mean, we've seen the face of the needs changing from a an ethnic standpoint, and it's due to a lot of different factors. Uh, you have the migration of certain ethnic groups over the past 50 years or so, and also you have the bringing in of Central Americans from the republics uh, since the civil wars in, in the 1980s and thereabouts. And the face of Belize has changed. In terms of this particular issue involving the Guatemalans, you know, growing up, I used to always hear that, oh, Guatemala might invade, believe this and that, but my firm position is it's based on what I've seen transpire for at least the past 32 years is this. The invasion has already taken place. Mm-hmm. And most, most, most unfortunately, it's, it's been facilitated by our so-called leaders. In my book, that is treasonous. And I think that Belizeans really need to take an, an in-depth look at their constitution and see what the parameters are set in terms of dealing with issues like this. Uh, the invasion has really taken place. It's taken place through migration, both legal and illegal, and also facilitated by power-hungry politicians who want votes so that they can maintain the status quo and do as they please. Belizeans and true friends of Belize, no matter where you are, we deserve better than what we have right now and what we've had in the past. But the only way we can step forward and move forward 
is if we take the bull by the horns and do what we have to do. I like to tell people that if you think that either party, and I'm referring to the red and the blue in this instance, will just wake up one day with an epiphany and say that, oh, you know what, now I start to do right by the people now, <laughs> brother, <laughs> you've got a long wait. You know what happens? You know, um, they like to say, heavy is the head that wears the crown, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. And a lot of what we've said has been focused on the government of the day. But I would be remiss if I didn't say a little something for the opposition, or shall I say, those who are waiting in the weeds, in the wings, chomping at the bit, um, waiting for elections so that they can have their turn. And to them, I have to say this. You know, the leaders have been fooled time and time again. And at this point, the opposition may be saying what the Belizean people want to hear. But you're dealing with a more informed electorate. You're dealing with people who are becoming more conscious. Belizeans, if you feel that just switching one government to the next will be the panacea or will be the, the cure to all our ills, you're fooling yourselves. The problems that we have are systematic and they're institutionalized. And the only way we can get out of this rut is if we stop, you know, borrow old Belizean proverb, stop exchange black dog for monkey, and continue just with this back and forth because it's half a dozen of one, six of the other. Now, a lot of people like to put out there that, well, what, what type of a, we, we don't have no option. People, you have to do things on your, on your own. You have to take the initiative. I'm hoping and praying that by the time the next general election comes up, we'll have 31 individuals or a group of individuals, at least one in every constituency that will contest. That way, individuals can't say that they don't have one choice. Because I'll tell you, you know what you're getting with the red, you know what you're getting with the blue. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that you're not too comfortable with it. It's time for a paradigm shift. But believe us, we have to take the bull by the horns and do what we have to do. With that, Major, I'd like to again say thank you so much, my brother. I really appreciate your input. I'm quite certain that those who listen also appreciate it greatly. And for those who were unable to tune in, this is podcasted. You can check the link at any time after this um, broadcast is over, and you can listen to it at your leisure. Again, this is Belize Hard Talk, a tipping point. We like to provide the individuals and the entities out there who don't have the normal channel of communication and opportunity to express their views. And I would like to think that anyone who's listening, whether it be my show or someone else's show that uses this medium, you'll find that the quality of the discussion is far beyond that of that red and blue rhetoric. Because I tell you, I don't listen to those talk shows in the morning, but as I flip the channels, I feel nauseated as I hear the red station and the blue station hurled insults at one another, knowing full well that the half a dozen or one six or the other, and they share a symbiotic relationship. So with that, I'll leave you. Uh, listeners, again, thanks a lot. Major, thank you so much. Thank you, Patrick. Yes, man. It's always a pleasure, and we'll be back, not next week, but the week after next, same time, 11.30, and we hope to have a, a very insightful discussion once again. With that, I'll sign off and say thank you so much, listeners. Have a good remainder of your weekend, and may the Almighty bless you. Peace, love, and guidance to everyone. Thank you. <laughs>